The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WNKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investments. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WNKV. And now your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we're putting folks just like you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And today on Real Life Real Estate Investing, we're doing questions and answers, which means that the show is all about you, about what you want to know about the current real estate market and what it's all about and how to buy and how to sell and how to rent and all of those sorts of things you can call with your questions which would be our preferred method of contact since we can always clarify and dig deeper into the questions by calling 772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area or 877-772-9658 if you're listening to us on the internet and um, we are also available via email at vena I sorry, askvina at gmail.com or via the askvina.com website. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati is holding its annual picnic slash networking party tomorrow evening at the usual location at the CAC building at the corner of Seymour and Reading. It's uh, the old Swift and Commons, now the Jordan Crossing. There will be food, there will be lots of potential wholesalers, buyers, private lenders, contractors, all of those sorts of people there this week. And there will also actually be a lecture, believe it or not, held outdoors on creative finance techniques. It is open to the public, so just show up anytime from 6 o'clock on at the CAC building corner of Reading and Seymour. You'll know it by all the real estate investors having a good time and munching on hot dogs. You get more information at CincinnatiRIA.com, at CincinnatiREIA.com, or at 859-292-7342, 859-292-RIA. Again, this is question and answer week, which means that without your questions, there is no program. So please give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Don't forget also to get on the internet and become a fan of Real Life Real Estate Investing by going to realliferealestateradio.com. You'll join over 1,500 fans of Real Life Real Estate in getting all sorts of additional information about real life real estate, like what the upcoming topic is. You have the chance to post your own ideas for programs, even pitch yourself as a guest for real life real estate investing. And also you have the chance to download 
any one or all of a hundred real life real estate investing classic shows there at real life real estate radio.com 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call to ask your questions or you can send us an email simply by going to askvina at gmail.com uh got a question here from Christopher in Bakersfield, California. He says, I have a very good friend who has about 60000 in savings and is tired of the stock market and mutual funds. He has no retirement built up at all. So the goal for him is income in about 15 years. He wants to buy a few houses at fifty or $60,000 a pop, but he has bad credit with a bankruptcy five years ago and can't get a mortgage for them. Can we enter some sort of agreement where I can either take on the mortgages or co-sign for them and receive a return on the investment and am not putting myself at great risk? In my mind, the houses are cash flowing anyway, extras being put into a savings account, and if they're empty one month, the payments will come from there. I can see it would be bad if they're empty for a while, and I have to pay the mortgages because he, for some strange reason, doesn't. Well, Christopher, I think you probably already know, and the reason you may be that you're asking the question, that it is a really, really bad idea to co-sign mortgages for other people. I mean, disastrously bad. I mean, life-changingly bad decision to co-sign mortgages for someone else. So you might ask, how do people partner up in real estate if not this way? Well, there's a couple of ways that you could potentially achieve the goal that you're looking for while allowing him to achieve his goal and still not put yourself at risk of being on the hook for a bunch of bad mortgages that someone else owns half the property. One way to do it is if you are qualified, which I assume you are, this would not be a question. Uh, you buy the houses, you have them in your name or better yet, your entity's name. You have complete control of the properties, but you do something with this buyer like let him lease option them from you so that he is then able to sublease the the properties to collect the rents. He owes you a monthly payment that it would be whatever your mortgage payment is plus whatever cash flow you were expecting. And if he doesn't perform, you're simply a victim because he's just a tenant. Now, whenever you're doing deals like this, you do need to check with your local laws. I'm not aware of any specific laws in California or in Bakersfield in specific that would uh, disallow you to do this or make it more complicated for you in some way. But this way, you know, if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, then you simply take possession of the houses and you do it. Uh, the, the way that people normally partner in deals like this is they do something like create a limited liability company where both of them are members. It's the limited liability company that owns the property and that takes on the mortgages and so on. That would not be a bad way to go, but be sure that you have a strong operating agreement that says what happens if he does not do his part, which I assume in this case is the management, maintenance, and rehab of the properties, and you would need to talk to a qualified real estate attorney to draw up that 
operating agreement. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're taking your questions today. I know it's off schedule. This isn't the last Wednesday of the month, but the problem is I had the opportunity on the last Wednesday of this month to get Than Merrill from Flip This House as my guest. And it was the only time that Than can do it. So we're moving around our schedule so that Than can be here on the last Wednesday of the month which means you got to help me out by calling in with your questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Whether your questions are about creative buying, creative selling, the finance market, legal issues, legislative issues, renting, buying, selling, whatever. 772-9658 is our local number here in the greater Cincinnati area. 877-772-9658 is our number in the larger United States, of course, toll free, or you can send us an email just by going, just by sending it to askvina at gmail.com or going to askvina.com. Wow, this is going to be a day for questions from California. And actually, this is more of a show suggestion. Uh, Charles in, uh, in Newport Coast, California says, uh, perhaps an expert on appealing your county property tax assessments, a great way to save money. I have successfully appealed property tax bills here in California as well as on investment homes in Georgia and Texas and that is a great suggestion and uh, I believe it's being written down right now to find somebody who is an expert on appealing property tax bills because with the dip in the market there is no reason that any of us ought to be paying taxes on the old assessments of our properties when they are worth significantly less than they are today. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. We're going to take a quick break. While we're doing that, give us a call at 772-9658-877-772-9658 or send us an email with your questions at askvina at gmail.com. Hey kids, have you checked out Vina's website yet at realliferealestate.com? I don't care that you're driving. Learn to multitask. It is Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host host Vina Jones-Cox and we are in the midst of question and answer week here on real life real estate investing which means the show is all about whatever has been on your mind in regards to real estate investing give us a call at 772-9658-877-772-9658 or send me an email at askvina at gmail.com uh, got an email here from Tom in Oakley, which is here in Cincinnati. He says, hello, I own a four family property with very good tenants, which I certainly feel blessed to have with me. I'm wondering what the benefits would be to setting up an LLC in my situation. Also, how much liability insurance should I have? I currently have a basic landlord policy and I'm not sure of the coverage details offhand. Well, Tom, let's start by finding out what the coverage details are because uh, what you may have there is a policy against risk of loss to the property. If it burns down, a tornado hits it, a tree falls on it, etc., your insurance would pay for part or all of the repairs. But what you may not have is a liability policy that would cover, for instance, uh, a an injury to a tenant or a tenant's guest or uh, perhaps uh, the tenant's dog biting a neighbor or something of that nature. Uh, most of the insurers that I know recommend at least a $1 million umbrella liability policy to cover uh, in addition to the liability insurance on the property. 
to cover uh, risks that would not otherwise be covered. Um, and a million dollars in liability insurance is surprisingly inexpensive, by the way, on a yearly basis. Uh, in terms of putting the property in a limited liability company, what you're really looking for there, Tom, is asset protection. What you're really looking for there is that something that happens on around at your property does not end up affecting us. And we're making some unspoken assumptions here that you didn't do the thing uh, would not end up affecting your personal stuff. So uh, tenant falls down the, the, the stairs, breaks his neck, is in a wheelchair for the rest of his life sues you exceeds the limits of the the judgment exceeds the limits of your policy and now his attorney is coming after you to collect a million dollars in theory assuming you did not push the tenant or or personally cause the thing that happened to the tenant uh what he would be limited to getting would be whatever would be in the llc which would be the four family he would not be able to come after the equity in your home, your personal bank accounts, your car, your possessions, your dog, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. LLCs in Ohio in particular are relatively inexpensive to set up. They should, they, they're really relatively inexpensive to set up in most places, in fact. And I can't really see a reason why you would not want an LLC. Now, the, the thing that you need to know is that in all likelihood, if you transfer the property into an LLC and you have a mortgage on it in your own name, that in theory, the transfer to the LLC could trigger the due on sale clause in the bank could come and say, we want all of our money because you sold the property to your own LLC, but just sold the property and thus triggered the due on sale clause. Um, do a lot of banks do that? Um, really none that I've ever heard of. I mean, unless it was an owner-occupied loan, which I assume it was not. So you got to weigh that potential, though distant, risk against the safety and the peace of mind that the LLC provides you. And I hope for your sake that you have so, so good tenants for like the entire rest of your life and you never have anything to worry about. But just be aware that that's not most landlords experience. So uh, yeah, the LLC is something that I think if one of our several attorneys that we draw up on for resources here at Real Life Real Estate Investing were here, they would tell you to do it. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate. It's question and answer week. Waiting for your questions via phone at 877 772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. Dan from Fort Lee, New Jersey says, I have a single family home under contract, which has a side lot that's buildable and subdividable. So the sound says, <laughs> I want to wholesale off the main house, but be able to sell off the lot separately can this be done as part of the wholesale contract? Uh, Dan, that's going to be a little bit complex because in order to do what you're saying, the side lot either already has to be on its own deed, in which case you got no problem. You can, you can, you can wholesale the lot off to a builder and the uh, house off to somebody else as long as you can do it, you know, all the same time so that the seller gets paid all at the same time. If it is not already on its own separate deed, it's going to require a survey, a deed, probably uh, some some talking to the zoning department and so on. And in that case, you're probably best off actually purchasing the property, 
doing that necessary work and then selling the two separate parcels. Now, obviously, the survey, the new deed, et cetera, are not going to be free. So you would have to balance that against how much more profit are you going to make by doing it the way that you're talking about doing it. Uh, Dan has a second question. He says, on another property under contract, I have a buyer who does not want to have anything to do with trusts. I put the property under contract as a trustee. I'm thinking of going back to the realtor, canceling the trust contract still within the inspection period, and then canceling the original contract, redoing the contract under his name. What do you think of this? Could I lose out? Dan, my first question would be, what is with this guy and trusts? Trusts are really not that big a deal. If he doesn't want to own the property in the trust, all he has to do is buy it in the trust and then Five minutes later, he can deed it out of the trust to himself. So is it is it that he doesn't like trusts or is it he doesn't understand trusts? Because by far the easiest thing to do would be to sell it to this guy the way it is and not have to go through all these other machinations that you are considering. Now, in terms of your other question about going back and basically voiding the existing contract, putting, uh, putting the property under contract again in your own name... Uh, that's fine, but of course you're risking that they already have a backup offer that's maybe higher than yours. And as soon as you step out of the contract, they're going to sell it. The the, the seller is going to sell it to somebody else, uh, which is the main way I can see in which you might quote lose out. Those would be your words uh, in doing the deal the way that you are suggesting doing it. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing question and answer week. Any question that you have about real estate investing would be a great question to ask today at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Don't depend on your friends and neighbors to call up and make this a real show because it's up to you, ladies and gentlemen. You have to step up with your real estate questions. You can send them to askvina at gmail.com or you can call at 877-772- Nine six five A question from Orlando in Southfield, Michigan. He says, Vina, what is the procedure in securing the funds from a private lender using a first mortgage on the property? Also, can I, col- okay, that's two separate questions, so I'll deal with them separately. Uh, well, Orlando, uh, you know, the procedure is, 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 uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, assume that you already have the private lender and what you're asking is how do does this deal actually work because the procedure in like going and finding a private lender would be a whole different thing basically what happens is your private lender sends or wires the money to close the transaction to the title company or attorney that you're using to close it the you or the title company or attorney prepare a mortgage and a note which of course you are going to execute. At the closing, the lender's money comes out of the title company's escrow account and goes to the seller and you you get the deed and you sign the mortgage and the note. The mortgage is then recorded by the title company. Uh, The note is generally not recorded in most states. So you, you would go home with a copy of that and the lender would get a copy of that. And then after a few weeks, the courthouse processes that mortgage and sends the original document back to your private lender and sends you a copy of the document. 
the important thing about all of that, Orlando, is that it all be done at a real closing with a real title company, with a real escrow account and a real attorney in charge. Because if you try and do this at your kitchen table, you're likely to mess up the documents in some way that uh, ends up making it a bad deal for both you and your lender. I could tell you some horror stories that I've seen just in the last couple of months with people borrowing money from private lenders and having documentation that was absolutely horrible, useless, convoluted, not done by a professional. It needs to be done by a professional. This is a lot of money for both you and your private lender, so do it right, okay? I think we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to George in New York. I just I don't want to cut George short, Mike. I want to take the little break and then come back to George and be able to answer his question fully. We'll also take your calls at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. We're having question and answer week this week, which means anything you want to know about real estate investing, 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Uh, on line one, we have Jorge from New York. Jorge, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Thank you, Vina. How are you? Very good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I've been listening to your show the last couple of weeks since I've been in uh, Cincinnati. Excellent. Awesome. So what's your um, question? My question to you is, I purchased a property. Um, I started up an LLC and I purchased a property here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh-huh. Um, I've already got, I'm starting, I'm in the process of getting um, contractors in there to give me uh, estimates. But I wanted to know where I can go um uh, what type of funding sources there are to try to get um, rehab loans. Um, and I own the property outright. Okay, so you do, you do not have a mortgage on it? No. Okay. Uh, your best bet to get it, to get the money like quickly and without jumping too, through too many hoops is going to be to find a private lender. Uh, okay. Are you coming to the Cincinnati RIA meetings? Um, I've been to one. I, vi- I visited and been to one. The, the only reason that I haven't joined is, is because I'm not from here. Mm-hmm. I'm, from, I'm from New York. Mm-hmm. But um, is that a good source of uh, private lenders? Or? It can be. It can be. And, and of course, there's other potential private lenders. Frankly, I would be looking in New York potentially for my private lenders because my experience up there on the East Coast is that when you tell people that you can buy a house in Cincinnati for $30,000... They, they they think you're a liar. I mean, they're like, that's not even a down payment here in, mm-hmm. you know, Long Island or Flushing or Newark or wherever. So, uh, yeah, there tend, there tend to be a lot of folks who get real interested in, in partnering or lending or something like that I, on on a property. I, I actually bought this, this particular property for $5,000. I don't think anybody would believe that over there either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, so so probably a uh, a a private loan would be your best bet. Although with a with a paid off property, institutional financing shouldn't be shouldn't be difficult to get if you're looking for like a less than 50% loan to value. The the challenge is going to be twofold. Number one, what is this house actually worth in the shape that it's in right now? Um probably not a lot. I haven't gotten it um I haven't gotten it appraised or I'm not sure how to uh where where to uh, look for for that number? 
how did you know what to pay for it? Um, I didn't. Well, Jorge, we need to have a completely different discussion about that particular thing because, <laughs> believe it or not, there are houses in Cincinnati that you can pay $5,000 to and have paid too much. Okay. I mean, seriously, I, I got I got an email two days ago from a friend of mine in North Carolina who had a, a tape of bank-owned properties, like a whole, you know, there were like 100 properties on this email, and six of them were in Cincinnati, and they were being offered for $8,500 a piece. And four of the six, it happened that I had already seen them. And mm-hmm. I called the guy back and I said, look, I know where you live. There's no such thing as a property that you could lose out at $8,500. But a couple of these properties, if you gave them to me for free and I, and I really fixed them, like I did a, I did a, a, a good job of stabilizing the property, I'd be upside down. I'd have I have forty five thousand dollars in a property I couldn't sell for more than forty. So um, l- the the way you're going to find out what the fixed up value of the property is is by going to the tax rolls, going to some of the free online services. I can't mention who they are, but you know who they are that that do house values for you. Okay. And, and do like a comp search or, or perhaps talk to a real estate agent who might be familiar with the area. And there are some local banks, and again, unfortunately, I can't, I can't give you their names over the radio because it's public radio, uh, that will do short-term rehab loans, particularly if they've got the first mortgage, which would, which would be the case in this situation. And okay. they're, they're going to charge you higher interest than what you're used to seeing. You know, it's okay. going to be 11, 12, 13% interest, but, and, it, and they're only going to let you have it for a year. But on the other hand, what do you care? You're going to have the property completely fixed and either sold or rented or something uh, yeah. w- within the year, I would think. So, again, use the resource of Cincinnati REA because everybody there knows who these banks are. Okay. Okay. And if you just go there and say, who's doing this kind of loan? People will be able to tell you. Uh, there will be people there who know about hard money lenders in the area, which might be an even easier, quicker way to accomplish the same thing. Uh, but you are going to have to have a handle on what the value is because okay. I, can, I can tell you that, that any of these lenders, whether they be hard money lenders, private lenders, or regular institutional lenders are going to want to put the money in escrow and only release it as you complete the repairs. They're not just going to hand you a check for, mm-hmm. for 30 grand. You know, they're going to put it in a bank account and then you're going to come with 7,000 in receipts and they're going to say, okay, this looks good and give you the 7,000 to pay them. So the, 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 the rehab financing options are not as wide, as, as big as they used to be five years ago, but they are still out there. You just have to kind of be connected with the investor community to know who they are. Okay, perfect. Uh, just I cu- really appreciate your help. Just, yeah, just out sure. of curiosity, Jorge, what uh, uh, what area is this property in? It's in South Fairmount. Okay. <laughs> yeah, talk to me at the re meeting tomorrow, okay? All right, no problem. <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Bye-bye. you very much for your call, Jorge. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. God bless the out-of-state investors who don't realize that there are properties that are worth less than what it's going to cost to fix them. Hopefully Jorge made a good deal here. I guess I will find out tomorrow when I talk to him at the RIA meeting. We are 
having question and answer week this week, which means you need to give us a call with your questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email by going to askvina at gmail.com. I did not finish uh, answering Orlando's from Southfield, Michigan's question. He says, can I collect the rents from an apartment building under a land contract or do do I have to wait until the length of the land contract is up? Uh, The answer, Orlando, is that the only reason that you would buy a property under a land contract was so that you could collect the rents. Otherwise, you'd simply be making payments while the owner was continuing to get payments from his tenants. Uh, land contract is a fairly common way of buying apartment buildings. It's not necessarily my favorite way because it does not get you the deed to the property. I'd much rather see you do an owner-held mortgage, if at all possible. But if that is your choice, then yes, you, as the land contract holder, you are, for all intents and purposes, the owner of the property. So yes, you collect the rents and you're also responsible for the repairs and maintenance and evictions and tenant management and all of those sorts of things. So thank you very much for your question, Orlando. We're going to take a quick break while we do. It is break time, right? <laughs> it's like I woke Mike up. <laughs> 772-9658 <laughs> <laughs> are the numbers to call or send me an email at askvina at gmail.com. Program support on WMKV comes from Pro Seniors. Every day, senior citizens are targeted by savvy crooks looking to rip them off or steal money from the Medicare system. And every day, Pro Seniors volunteers fight back by helping people protect their Medicare numbers, detect fraud, and report suspicious charges. Pro Seniors may be contacted at 1 800 488 6070. And looking at traffic, we have an accident now in Kentucky. On the AA Highway, uh, this is southbound AA Highway near 275 in the left lane, so watch out for that. Uh, over on the Ohio side of the river, an accident just in Edwards at Madison in the Hyde Park area. Still have the one uh, eastbound Fort Washington Way at Vine Street. It's still on the left shoulder, so stay to the right as you come out of the Lytle Tunnel. Uh, actually, if you're eastbound, you're coming from the other direction, so never mind that. Uh, accident 4100 block of Hamilton and in Blue, Blue Rock at Livingston. We have an accident there as well. And then slowdowns eastbound 275, 71 to Ward's Corner. Westbound 275 between 747 and Route 4. North 71 slows up at Dana. South 75 slows up from Shepherd to Paddock, Harrison to the Brent Spence Bridge off and on. It is 80 degrees now. Temperature continues to fall. A chance of some showers this evening. A low of 65. Tomorrow sunny with a high of 85. And uh, cooler temperatures this weekend. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My fault on the break thing. I get confused. Is it 40 after? Is it 45 after? I've, I've only been doing this for 14 years. Give me another 10 and... Maybe I'll have it figured out. <laughs> our, our numbers here in the studio are 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Our email address for the show is askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A. Any questions that you have about real estate investing? I've run myself clean out of breaks here, so... We need some questions. We're going to go ahead and go to line one and talk to Steve in Cincinnati. Steve, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. 
Hi, Vina. Thanks for taking my call. I have a follow-up question to the insurance question that was asked earlier, Mm -hmm. and that is I have some rental properties I'm going to be purchasing through a short sale, Mm -hmm. and they're going to be in uh, an LLC, like you suggest. And also, well, my, my question is the properties that I'm purchasing, I'm paying a very low price for them. Mm-hmm. However, they're worth uh, on the tax rolls a lot more. And if I had to rebuild them, they would be a lot worth a lot more than mm-hmm. what I'm paying for them. Mm-hmm. And my insurance agent said that um, that would create a problem if I would try to insure them for what that would really cost to rebuild them, because there's too big of a difference between the purchase price and the rebuild price. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, Steve, you don't want to insure them for the replacement cost because this isn't this isn't your own home that you're in love with and if it burned to the ground you would want to make it exactly like it was before. What you want to insure them for is the value. Not, not not what you paid for them, but what they're actually worth. Because I, I I'm going to assume since these are renters, rentals, they're probably older properties. They're not ten or fifteen years old. They're forty, fifty, a hundred years old. Correct. Yeah, reconstructing a property like that is is hugely expensive. Hugely expensive. I, 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 the replacement cost on on my personal home is something like four hundred thousand dollars, and the thing wouldn't sell for more than one ninety on you know, fully fixed up on the best day ever. Okay. So I don't insure it for the 400. I insure it for the 190. And if it burns to the ground, the insurance company writes me a check for 190 and I go buy another house. And it's going to be the same situation with your, with your rental properties. You don't want to let your insurer convince you to under insure them. And that's what you would be doing if you pay, if you insure them for the amount that you're paying, because think about worst case scenario, property burns down if you're paying 20 and the insurance company hands you a check for 20, that's not good enough. If you pay 20 and the properties were 60 and the insurance company hands you a check for 60, that's that's good. Because I assume that one of the reasons you're getting the properties cheap is that they're going to need some work. Yes, that's correct. And it's a short sale and I'm buying six of them at once. So oh. the price is just like you said, I'm paying a very low price and I don't want to get $50,000 back if they burn back, burn down, mm-hmm. but I don't want to get twenty either mm-hmm. because that would basically replace my money and then I'd have a lot with a burned down house on it. Yes, and you would have a bunch of other money that you would put in to the properties to stabilize them. So yeah, that that, that won't work. Um, uh, let me say congratulations on the deal. That's, that's uh, it's always nice when you can step in and do, have the leverage of doing a bunch of properties all at once. Uh, but don't don't let your insurer insurer tell you that you cannot insure them for the value. Uh, like attorneys and CPAs, insurance agents tend to either understand real estate investing or they don't. And you may have one who doesn't. So you may want to find someone who does. And tomorrow night wouldn't be a good time to do that. Tomorrow night would be a great time to do that. Yeah, just ask around. Okay. Say to people who's who, who's insuring your properties because the insurers who specialize in working with real estate investors and there are a number of them who even come to RIA uh, will know exactly what you're talking about. They'll be able to tell you exactly what to do and you'll have the right insurance. Great. Thanks a lot for your help. Thank you so much for your call, Steve. I just love it when people call and say, I'm doing this this deal. That's like so encouraging that people are out there actually doing it.
It's question and answer week. We got about 10 more minutes to answer your questions at 772-9658 or at 877-772-9658. Or if you very quickly send them to askvina at gmail.com because uh, we do tend to get end up the ones that you send five minutes before the end of the show. We tend to get them 30 minutes after the end of the show. So that's not good. A uh, question from Costas in Los Angeles. I told you this was going to be the day for California. He says, I'm a big fan of your show. Aren't podcasts great? I'm interested in taking advantage of a lot of the foreclosures that are happening in Southern California, specifically in buying a property at auction at the county courthouse. My understanding is that in order to bid, you're, you have to present to the auctioneer with a cashier's check, which will allow you to bid up to that amount. The properties I'm looking at are in the $800,000 range, but I only have two to 300000 My question is, are there any finance options available to me so I can bid for these properties? Uh, well, Costas, the answer is that depends on whether the trustee, who I think would be actually doing the auction, uh, will allow a proof of funds letter to be acceptable as the thing that they're looking for, which is do you or do you have enough money? Do you do you not have enough money to bid on this? The answer to that may very well be no, and here's why. Uh, in order for a traditional bank to agree to finance a property, they of course have a whole series of due diligence steps they have to go through, title search, an appraisal, and so on and so on. So a proof of funds letter only says from a bank or a, a, sorry, not a proof of funds letter, a pre-qualification letter from a bank only says Costas is allowed to borrow this much money. If we appraise the deal and agree that it's worth what he's trying to borrow and so on and so on. And I don't know what the time frame is in California between the time the gavel drops and the time you actually have to take the deed. But I know in most states it's less than 30 days. And the bank at this point in time with all the refinances that are going on and all the rules and underwriting problems and appraisal problems is not going to have time to do what they need to do in 30 days. And even if they did, they wouldn't have the uh, uh, ability to... um, guarantee that you would get the loan because they haven't seen the property yet. And since you don't have possession of the property between the time of the sale and the time that you uh, uh, would take possession of it, um, you're going to have a hard time getting them in. So your options are two. One is if you decide to go with what you are saying that you want to do, which is go to real estate auctions and bid, you'll either have to limit yourself to properties worth under the $300,000 that you have, or you will have to get a private lender or partner who will write you a proof of funds letter with no contingencies. might be a little hard to do that since they probably haven't previewed the property and don't know what sort of shape it's in and whether their money is going into a good deal or a bad deal. The other option, and I think it's probably the better one, is get this whole trustee auction thing out of your mind and instead work on the the step of the step of this process that happens after the sale which is that the property becomes a bank owned property with bank owned properties you have the ability to use pre-qualification letters from banks from private lenders etc and you have time to do your due diligence that is to say the inspection of the property and so on so it's probably better to focus on the foreclosures after they have already gone through the trustee sales i can tell you also that my students in southern california are telling me that 90 percent of the properties that are selling there are selling to the banks because no one will outbid the banks in terms of what the banks are owed because of the huge drop in property values 
out there and that um, REOs are probably the much easier way to go. Question from John in El Paso, Texas. Hi, Vina. If I have a deal that I want to assign to another investor, do I have to open escrow with a title company first, close escrow, assign the contract, and then wait for my check? Or can I just use the assignment of contract form after the seller signs the purchase and sale agreement with me without having to go through the title company and let the new buyer purchase it for a certain amount above what I bought it for? Whoa, 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 John. Forget that. You know, wholesale a property. Forget this whole bought word (laughs) because your goal is really not to buy the property at all. The most cost-effective way to do this, which is what you're asking, is to get the property under a written purchase contract with a seller and then assign that contract to a buyer and then let him go to the closing, open the escrow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only time that that's absolutely not going to work is if the contract has a not, the purchase contract we're talking about here has a non-assignment agreement in it. And my memory is that the, um, Trek contract, the Texas real estate contract does have a pre-written in non-assignment agreement in it. It says that the, the contract can't be assigned without the written agreement of the seller. And ask me why I know what the Texas contract says when I have never bought a house in Texas in my entire life. I am just that big a real estate geek. I've actually read the Trek contract. And, and, I buy, and I like it a lot, by the way, because it's got that 10-day option period that I've never seen in any other state's contract. It rocks. Anyway, cross out that non-assignment agreement when you make the offer and initial it. Because if the non-assignment agreement stands, what I just told you cannot happen. You cannot assign a contract when there is a non-assignment agreement in it, at least not without the written permission of the seller. Okay, let's see. Um, JP in Arizona says, is there a way to translate points in a legal description to a latitude-longitude coordinate? (laughs) I thought I was a real estate geek. I'm trying to find a way to roughly verify property boundaries without paying for a survey. For example, if I use a legal description to come up with the four corners of a rectangular lot, could I not use one of the internet programs to verify that the property I see matches the legal description? Uh, well, JP, I'm I'm certain that there is a way to translate legal descriptions into latitude-longitude coordinates. However, I think that would be a different program that could potentially explain that. That's real life geology, geography, that's on tomorrow night. Um, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the program that you mention here, which I'm not going to mention because we just don't promote things like that. Um, actually, if you put in the street address, we'll show you the lot. Okay. So you don't, you don't need to worry about the latitude longitude thing. I, I assume what's happening here is that you're looking at bidding on a piece of vacant land and you're trying to make sure that the thing that you think you're bidding on is the thing that you are in fact bidding on. That's just my guess about what's going on there. Uh, You're listening to real life, real estate investing. Just a couple more minutes to ask your questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Here is a question from Regan in Ballinger, Texas who says, I have a question about short sales. What procedure needs to be followed when you have attained an authorization to release information from the seller, but the loan has been sold to an out-of-state lender? Do you fax or mail the form to them and then hope they will talk to you over the phone? 
Thanks. I really like your show. Uh, yes, Ray, Regan, uh, each lender has its own way of wanting to deal with this, but mostly it's by fax. Mostly they want you to fax them the authorization to release information, the purchase contract, and the hardship letter. And then what a lot of lenders are doing right now is they're they're assigning a case number to it. They're opening a file on it. And that can take, in, in this market, anywhere from a few days up to a month or more just to get that case number so that you can be informed of the case number so that you can call back the lender and say, all right, I'm Regan. I'm the one with the authorization to release information. I'm calling about case number 1234567. But yes, faxing. Uh, seems to be the preferred method, but the first thing to do is call the loss mitigation department of that particular bank and find out what they prefer. A question from, uh, wow, this is a long one, all the way down here to Dave in Seattle, Washington. He says, thanks for the show. I listen to the podcast and enjoy it very much. My wife and I are former homeowners from Michigan. While there, we renovated a former drug house while living in it, and our marriage survived. Congratulations, Dave. Now we live in Seattle, and now while we have a nice nest egg from the Michigan house, about $60,000, we don't have the income to buy into properties here. I figured we could afford on my salary a three hundred dollars to $350,000 property, uh, but we can't afford the price until my wife is working. Condos seem to be out of the question as they cost about the same, if not more than a single family home. Can you suggest a creative alternative? Um, We're willing to build, renovate, as long as it's not a to the studs renovation like Michigan. We're not interested in interest only loans or arms that will adjust painfully upward. Not that those are really that easy to get anymore anyway. We'd be willing to buy a duplex or a moreplex, rent off and rent or sell the other units off as condos. We'd build it, we'd build We'd be willing to invest the nest egg to get enough money to buy later. Uh, we fall into the category of young professionals with money, but not enough money to buy in Seattle. Well, I'll tell you, uh, as slow as the market is right now, Dave, what you should really be looking for is homeowners who have had their market, their properties on the market for a lengthy period of time and call them up. These would be for sale by owners, of course, and ask them if they would be willing to sell to you on some sort of terms. Now, I believe that Seattle is a deed of trust state, so it would be something like a wraparound deed of trust or a uh, subject to deal or something like that. Uh, there's a lot of people out there right now selling houses creatively because they, you know, you, you, this other young professional couple has moved out. They're making payments on the house they used to live in plus the house they now live in. They don't want to do that anymore. They would be happy for someone else to take over their payments. And that might be a really good opportunity for you. It's going to take a little digging around. It's not like you're going to open up the multiple listing service and there's going to be 500 people offering this. Uh, there might be some offering in the paper. If you look under lease options, land contract, land contracts probably aren't used in, in Seattle, but lease options, uh, owner financing, that sort of thing. The important thing, of course, is that you get into a deal that you can afford. The nice thing is, though, that in on a three hundred dollars to three hundred fifty thousand dollars house, the prior owner might have a four and a half percent loan on it that you'd be taking over, and that might make it affordable for you, even though your wife is not currently uh, employed. Don't get in over your head because you don't want to have to give the house back to the owner any more than you would want to have to give it back to the bank. But having said that, uh, creative buying directly from the seller on some sort of a payment plan is a very good strategy right now, uh, assuming, of course, that you once again have 
all the paperwork drawn up and the deal blessed by a competent real estate attorney. Uh, Sartell from Salt Lake City says, I've been interested in real estate for a while, but have become truly passionate about it in the past two to three months. The problem is I'm losing motivation for my current job and find myself wanting to do something entrepreneurial. Any suggestions about how to go about switching careers gradually? Uh, appreciate the uh, the question, Sartell. A lot of people are in that exact position. My Best advice is give a little bit of time every single day to your real estate investing career, actually doing stuff with it so that in a year or two, you can have enough actual assets built up, not just information in your head, actual properties that you've bought and rented or bought and sold that you can decide at that point whether keeping your job is a thing that you want to do or don't want to do. The important thing is to have the choice, and the only way you're going to have the choice is to actually go out there and do it, devote some time to it each and every day, and the next two years is going to pass. Whether or not you do that, if you do do it, you will find yourself in a much better position than you are today. Just about out of time here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Don't forget the Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow night. It's the annual picnic. It'll be outdoors. It'll be fun and food and networking and a great time. More information at CincinnatiRIA.com. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.